Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we're going to kind of cover a few states today. I have a very interesting true crime, very befuddling. Bethy, you have the paranormal and the drinks. What do you have? She's literally pulling this out of a bag. Okay, there is a bag of Skittles. By the way, I love Skittles. And a beer. We are having a Skittle brow. Yavol. <laughs> it has everything to do with my story, and I can't even tell you anything about this drink until we get to my portion. Okay. So, what do I do with this? You can eat a Skittle and drink some beer. Well, not a Skittle. You can have a few Skittles <laughs> if you'd like. And the bag of Skittles is the new kind. They, they brought the lime back. A lime and the coconut. I don't know if you realized Skittles exchanged the green Skittles. They made them like apple or something like that. No. A long time ago. Yeah. If you bought a Skittle bag like a year ago, okay. the lime one was gone. I haven't, but okay. I'll take your word. So lime is back. That's awesome. But anyway, so you can have some Skittles and drink a beer. We are drinking a Hefeweizen and I will explain the cocktail when it gets to my portion. So... It's fun and it's exciting, so you have to stick around now. <laughs> and it's befuddling also. <laughs> and she's really breaking into the bag of Skittles. I, I love Skittles. I love Skittles. They're Nolan's favorite candy. And he calls them M&M's. So he's always <laughs> like, Mom, I need my M&M's. <laughs> you probably have figured out that we are net virtual. We are actually together, which... That'd uh, be really cool if I handed you Skittles and beer virtually. That would be awesome. <laughs> Hey, one day, you never know. Yeah, never know. But I like doing it so much better this way. Me too, Mom. Me too. Okay, so we have our snack. We have our beverage. Tell us a story. Sit back and relax. Because oh, I will. <laughs> this is absolutely nuts. Now, Beth knew more about this than I did. Of course, I'd heard of it, but I did not know the ins and outs at all. I think you did know a little bit more than I did for sure. Yes, a little bit. Uh, okay, so the paranormal portion, I knew I wanted to cover this. And it's a very broad thing. So I was like, oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. So I kind of gave it to mom, put it in her little head. and My little head. <laughs> what, do you want, what do you want me to say, big head? <laughs> My little head. Okay. So what does your little head have to tell us, mom? Wow. I mean, this pulled me in and for like a week. Normally, I don't spend that long doing research. For a week, I just kept watching. I mean, there's tons, tons out there on this. And every time I thought it was done, another video popped up. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm never going to get finished with this. All right, here we go. 
On February 16, 1997, 21-year-old Patrick McNeil, a junior at Fordham College, decided to go out with friends. No big deal. This is what a lot of college kids do. <laughs> I know I sure did. <laughs> but it turned out to be a very big deal for Patrick. Patrick was described as a, quote, ladies' man. He was particular about his looks, but he was just as particular about his grades, which were very good. His dream was to one day join the FBI. On the night of the 16th, Patrick and his friends made their way to the Dapper Dog, a bar on Manhattan's Upper East Side. While at the bar, Patrick felt very sick and in fact threw up in the bathroom. He told his friends he was leaving. He'd take the subway back to Fordham. He actually, I think, maybe called somebody because he was waiting outside the bar for a while for a ride, but she didn't show up. Patrick began to walk. Okay, here we go with the witnesses. Some witnesses from the bar said that Patrick was highly intoxicated, while others said that he hardly had a drink. Hmm. Yeah, um, that's like really contradictory. There were people who witnessed Patrick outside of the bar as he walked home. These people reported that Patrick was stumbling drunk, even falling down a few times. Witnesses also said that they saw a van slowly following Patrick. When he stopped, the van stopped. It looked so suspicious that someone wrote down a partial plate number. Unfortunately, oh, they wow. couldn't get the whole thing. When Patrick turned on East 90th Street, the van followed him. And that's the last anyone saw Patrick or the van. On April 7th, Patrick's body was found floating near a Brooklyn pier about seven miles from where he was last seen. The medical examiner ruled Patrick's death as undetermined. His alcohol level, according to the medical examiner, was, quote, more than a little, less than a lot. I mean, that's just like the witnesses. Some witnesses said he didn't have anything to drink and others said he was toppling over. I mean, yeah, but this is an educated man. He's I know, the medical that doesn't examiner. Make any sense. More than a little, less than a lot. What the heck? The official consensus is that Patrick was drunk, tripped over a rock or something and fell into the East River and drowned. Note, you will hear this consensus a lot during this episode. Okay, I'm going to throw some wrenches in this tidy explanation of Patrick's death. One, what about the van that was following him? Right. So suspicious that somebody actually tried to get the Wrote plates. down, exactly. Two, to end up at the East River from 90th Street, one would have to cross FDR driveway. Wow, a driveway? driveway? <laughs> FDR's driveway? Man, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to start over. <laughs> to end up at the East River from 90th Street, one would have to cross FDR Drive, an expressway with fencing on both sides. A lot more dangerous. Something a sober person would have a great deal of trouble doing, let alone a stumbling drunk person. Who's falling over. Yeah. Patrick was found face up in the water. This is not how accidental drowning victims are found. They're usually floating. Dead man's float. That's why it's called that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Face down. They're not, ex they're not floating on their back. There were ligature marks on his neck and wrists. Okay. Hello. Now get this. That sounds like he drowned. The body looked like it had only been in the water a couple of days. 
where was he in the time between his disappearance and his body being put in the water? And how long was he missing for? Uh, a little over a month and a half. Oh. But his body had only been in the water a couple of days. Well, could it be possible that it was in the water and he drowned and then it washed ashore somewhere and then it kind of washed back out to the water? No. And could it be possible that perhaps the water was freezing cold, right? And so sure. it would stop the decomposition. Right, because no. it is February. And... No. Oh. Wasn't cold enough for that. Okay, this is also another question you're going to hear me repeat several times. Well, okay, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> NYPD detective Kevin Gannon was assigned to the case. He pretty much stood alone in saying that this was not an accidental drowning. The victim was stalked abducted, held, murdered, and disposed of. He was joined by fellow detective Anthony Duarte and eventually by criminal justice professor Lee Gilbertson in the belief that McNeil was a murder victim. I'm not sure if it was because of this belief or something else, but Detective Gannon was eventually pulled off the case. Patrick was the first of many some say over a hundred, young men suspiciously found in bodies of water across 11 states. There are commonalities in all of these cases. These are young, college-aged men, athletic, have above-average intelligence, and most of these victims are Caucasian. They all leave a bar or a site of a party alone in what looks like an intoxicated state. And in a lot of the cases, a smiley face was graffitied near where the victim was found. Yep, I'm talking about the smiley face killers. I had heard about the smiley face killers, but didn't really know much about the case. And boy, did my research share some interesting things. I have to say that this is one of the most interesting cases I've covered. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Because there are so many rabbit holes that you are sucked into and a whole lot of questions. I'm going to cover some more cases, and then you can follow me down some of these rabbit holes. I'm not going to go into depth in these cases. Each could take an hour to cover all by themselves, but I'll share enough with you for you to get the gist of what may be going on. And of course, there's plenty out there if you want to research it. Todd Gieb was at a bonfire party with a group of friends on June 12th, 2005. The party was in a field close to his house in Casanova, Michigan. At some time during the night, Todd wandered off. It seems he tried to call some friends, of which one answered, I'm in a field, end of call. The friend tried what? to call back, but all calls went to voicemail. Just a random, I'm in a field. Oh, man. Todd was reported missing, and there was a wide search for him. Three weeks later, his body was found in a lake, near to where the bonfire had been. Toxicology report stated that there was not much alcohol in his system. Not a lot, but not a little. <laughs> no, this one was more concise. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but there were two different kinds of antidepressants found in his system. Now, Todd was not prescribed antidepressants, so... Who put those in his system? The amount would have made him confused, disoriented, and stumbling. Well, that's what I was going to say about the first victim is people said that he they didn't see him drinking anything. Well, it kind of does all go together, even though maybe he was seen with one cocktail. Maybe there was something in it that made him stumble and fall down. And Yep. And, well, I'll get into that, but that's not always tested. 
So the official consensus was that Todd went the opposite way from his house and ended up at the lake, tripped and fell in. Okay. Okay. I'm going to throw some things your way. The lake had been searched a lot during those 21 days that Todd went missing. How big is the lake? It's not, it's not super lake. It's not super It's not big. a super lake. It's not a super lake. It's a little <laughs> lake. <laughs> super lake. You can see to the other side. And, oh, okay. And, okay, so it's not huge at all. So not it's a pond, not a super lake. <laughs> smaller than a lake, but bigger than a pond. Wow, you're just like <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. When he was found on July 3rd, his body was in a strange position. His head and shoulders were out of the water, and he was just bobbing. Bob Bobbing? What do you mean? So he's floating upright. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? No, that's weird. Why Why would a body do that? It wouldn't. But it did. So why? <laughs> I don't <laughs> But it apparently did. So how? I don't did know. Did he have any explanation? He was just... So the first guy wasn't dead man's floating, even though he was dead. And then this guy is just bobbing upright in the water. Uh-huh. But why? Is and... it the drugs that are in them? Like... I... That makes something buoyant, but something not. The like, drugs make something buoyant. I don't know. Maybe clothes, maybe his. I, I don't know. His body had very little decomp. I mean. Like, That's weird. Very little. And he was supposedly in this lake. In July. Yeah. For 21 days. Not. Nuh-uh. Hmm. Now, as you said, this was a semi-warm body of water in the heat of the summer. There would have been very little of him left if he had been in the lake the whole time. Hmm. They did an experiment just to kind of prove their point. And of course, pigs have a lot of similarity with our skin. And the way that they decompose would be the way we decompose. Okay. So they wanted to see basically how looking at the pig, how long Todd had been in the water. And then what would he have looked like if he had been in the water for 21 days? So they leave the pig in the yep. the lake for yeah. 21 days? Actually, they, they had several pigs. I think like seven pigs or Ew. something that they were testing different stages. They would pick insects off of the body as also of the pigs. Okay. Todd had no insects Did on him. Did they close the lake while these seven pigs are just this floating This is a in the privately lake? owned lake. Okay. They didn't have to close it. Okay. Question answered. Also... They, you know how lakes, when they get really warm, they kind of form a um, kind of that, like mold, green, like green sludge yes. around yes, the yes, yes. edges. Guess what? He had no green sludge on him. But the pigs did? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, listeners, I'm sorry if this grosses you out, but it doesn't gross me out because I love Congratulations. <laughs> but that pig that was in for 21 days. The seven pigs. No. They, well, they would pull him out you know, day by day to test them, I guess. So the one that had been in there for 21 days, it was incredible because you know how they speed things up uh, in the film? (laughs) Yes. So it like was a cluster of maggots. And then the next, I I mean, there was nothing left of the pig. There was nothing left except bones. Ew. It was, well, it's nature, you know. Mm. Mm, mm, Mm. mm, mm, mm. It's gross. But he was all there. He was there. Totally. This all suggested that his drink was laced with the drugs. 
He was perhaps followed, abducted, held, killed, and disposed of. Oh, let me add that there was a smiley face painted on a tree near to where his body was found. And uh, this is creepy as hell. A smiley face sticker was found on his gravestone. (gasps) Yeah. Only his? Only his. I thought that was creepy as hell. In Todd's case, there were the antidepressants found in his system. This is something else that many of these cases share. Most victims have a drug in their system, and many of these have the drug GHB. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. (laughs) We're just going to go with GHB. We know it as the date rape drug. This drug does not automatically show up in talk screens. A doctor or medical examiner has to specifically ask for it. So we don't really know how many of these victims had GHB in their system. Okay, we can just kind of guess. Also, it being a male, Mm -hmm. I think they would test more readily on a female. Okay. And a guy out drinking, oh, well, he just got drunk and he drowned. Interesting. You know, where I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking out of line here, but I think if it was a, if this was happening to a lot of women, I think maybe they would have been tested. Well, I'm sure it's a more common drug used on women. Women. Yes. Okay. A little bit about GHB. It is a nervous system depressant. It was originally made to provide sleep and pain relief for patients undergoing medical procedures. Wow. It was deemed unsafe and unreliable after test subjects had seizures, intense vomiting, and swung between being unconscious and then conscious and then back to unconscious. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But how do people get this drug? LGHB found itself among athletes something that I find crazy. I guess it stimulates the human growth hormone, which is known to reduce body fat and increase muscle mass. It is also said to speed up metabolism. You know, and and there's, of course, different doses. Sure. And our body, I'll get into this later, but our body actually produces GHB, but it's below, it's like 10 milligrams or whatever. I'll get to that. So we do naturally produce this drug. Okay. And I should have looked into that. I'm sorry. I don't know how people procure GHB. But remember Patrick, he was got really sick all of a sudden mm-hmm. in the bar. Yes. He went and vomited. Yes. And then he was stumbling around. Right. Yeah. But he wasn't tested for GHB. He was not tested. No. But Todd was, and he had it in a system? Todd had the two antidepressants in his system. Okay. And but did they a, test him for this? Well, they found the, the two antidepressants and the doctor said there is no way, there's no reason he would have taken two of these antidepressants. Basically, they do the same thing. So he it just upped the dose, basically. Which makes no sense. But if somebody would have crushed it up and put it in his drink, right. it would have made him stumble and be... Loopy and, and yeah, tired. And, yeah. Exactly. In the early 1990s, GHB became popular in the club and bar scene. Combined with methamphetamines, it would cause a euphoric effect. As I said before, the drug also causes unconsciousness with moments of consciousness, making it the number one drug found in victims' assaults. To add to that, the victim has no recollection of what happened, absolutely no memory of the event. Oh, that's horrible. But I thought it was interesting how it came to be. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's interesting that it's used recreationally. Yeah. Or for athletes, but taking at a certain dosage can really harm somebody. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess that's any drug. (laughs) I just thought it was interesting, the effect that it had at different levels. Mm -hmm. Oh, September 29th, 2006 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Lucas Holman, 21, went out with friends to a bar celebrating Oktoberfest. Lucas and a friend left the bar around 10 p.m., but somehow got separated. The friend turned up in the ER with a serious head injury. Didn't know what happened. Lucas was nowhere to be found. His body was found three days later, floating in the Mississippi River. Official consensus was (laughs) acute alcohol poisoning and that Lucas had walked to the river and accidentally drowned. Now, this case has a lot of unanswered questions. Lucas and his family knew about young men drowning. There had been seven deaths in La Crosse by this time. Seven deaths of drowning? Yes, of young men drowning. There have been 11 altogether. So after... Lu- in that one area? In La Crosse. In the last, what, over like 10 years? Over two decades, I guess. Oh. Well, since 1997 and... Then Lucas was 2006. Yeah. So about two decades. But the similarities, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's so weird about this. Lucas's mother would always say to him, don't go near the water. Lucas's response would be, I have no reason to go to the water. Everything we do is away from the water. And this was the case the night he went missing. The river was nowhere near to the bar or the route he would have taken home. Analysis of Lucas' body showed that he had only been in the water for three hours. But he was gone for three days. Police reports said 50 hours. Huh? Here I go again. Where the hell was he for the other 47 hours? Yeah. There were marks, bruises, and scratches on Lucas's body. These could be consistent with a with body a fall or tumble or with something. a body being hit and knocked about in the currents. Oh, okay. But that does not explain the boot print on his forehead. What? There was like, I mean, you could see it, it was bruise, but you could see that it looked like a boot print. Yes. Yes. Or does not explain what looked like defensive marks on his hands, wrists, and forearms. So the boot mark was like the front of the boot, not the heel, but the mm-hmm. front of the boot. So it's not like he was stepped on or anything. Like the toe. It was like it was he was being held down. The boot was putting so much pressure on his head that he was being held down. His head was being held. Oh my gosh! Well, it had to been put a lot of pressure on his head in order for it to be bruised like that. Yes. Witnesses do say that Lucas got into an altercation with a band member in the alleyway in the alley. Uh, gosh, in the alleyway behind the bar. Oh my gosh, I can say that. A band member in the alleyway behind the bar. The band member admitted that he and Lucas got into a scuffle because Lucas was urinating near the band's equipment. And Ew. He, he thought Lucas had actually peed on the equipment. Ew, why are you peeing inside of a bar? Outside a bar, they're in the alleyway. Oh, <laughs> I said it five times. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. So they did get into a fight. There was a fight. Yeah, sure. Okay. Cadaver dogs were brought to the alley and they did zero in on the van. But the van was never looked at or even taken in as evidence. What? 
Because, yes. well, they called it a drowning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was drunk. So they're not looking at this as a homicide where they're going to check all this stuff out. No. She's shrugging. She's not saying anything. I, She's just shrugging. Well, they did take pictures of the back of the van and there were oh boy cases for their instruments and stuff back there in the speakers and stuff. And there was a white, what looked like a sneaker, but was kind of a mix between a sneaker and a boot. Mm-hmm. And they did all these you know, different, like there's forensic footprint people. There's forensic everything, you know? So this, Hey, what do you do? I'm a forensic footprint person. (laughs) Well, they like, no, I investigate prints. What a a job title. And they, he actually narrowed it down to what shoe that was. That's so, I mean, that's like the Ramirez case. It's crazy. That is so crazy. But, Basically, they ruled the band out because that shoe that was there did not would not have made that print. So then they just let the van go, even though dogs. I don't know. Now, here's a little something that's going to kind of blow your mind. OK, they pulled Lucas's body out of the Mississippi River. There were neon orange flakes on Lucas's sweatshirt. So there were some actually also on his jeans. And we're talking minuscule. Like very, very small. Okay. Okay. Picked it up with, um, you know, their A magnifying s- spy their glass special thing. things <laughs> that they use. So it's very, very small, but it was found in like some crevices in his sweatshirt and on his pants. Okay. Now I'm going to blow your mind. Those orange flecks that were neon orange turned out to be nail polish. Hmm. Okay. Okay. But. Do you know that nail polish is actually what is used in spray cans? Like graffiti? Like paint spray cans. There was an orange smiley face, neon orange smiley face that matched the same color as what was on his sweatshirt sprayed on a tree. Near his body? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Think about that. Okay. Two more cases. I told you I could go on and on. There's so many cases, but January 19th. 2018 in Woodland, Pennsylvania. Tommy Booth was celebrating his birthday, bar hopping with friends. Surveillance video showed him entering the last bar he was seen at, but there's no footage of him leaving. Remind you of somebody? Mm-hmm. Brian Schaefer, who some think could be a victim of the smiley face killers. Yes. We covered him in episode 94. Right. He went missing from the ugly tuna saluna. Maybe that will ring some bells for you all. And he's still missing. Yes, he is. Again, there was a wide search for Tommy to no avail. Then two weeks later, he's found face down in the creek behind the bar. His death was ruled a possible drowning. Again, there are so many questions. The creek was thoroughly searched during these two weeks. We're not talking just one time. I mean, it was searched a lot. In fact, the day before the body was found, a man said that he searched that area. There was nobody there. He went up and down the creek. There was no body there. So crazy to me. There was what looked to be a drag mark in line with Tommy's head, as if he had been dragged by his feet with his face down. In fact, there was a great deal of sand or dirt in the victim's nose and on his chin. There were also very distinct boot prints right by the body. Where were these from? 
Police say that Tommy fell drunk into the creek. The creek froze over his body and then melted. Thus, you didn't see him before. A searcher that had combed that creek said, no way. That part of the creek did not freeze and the body was not there the day before. Another interesting factoid is that lividity showed on the victim's back, head, shoulders, buttocks, and shins, indicating that Tommy had died on his back. So when you lay, after you die, when you lay in a certain position, wherever the pressure is, Mm -hmm. lividity shows. Okay. So it was his head, his shoulders, and So he was lying on his back He was lying on his back, but he was found face down in the creek. Also, there were parts of his body that were in full rigor mortis. Rigor that almost always... That doesn't happen in the water, though, does it? Yeah, it does. But rigor almost always dissipates between 24 and 36 hours after death. So he had just died. Well, within 24, 36 hours. If not in the creek, where was Tommy the two weeks before his body was found? And yes... A smiley face was found graffitied on a wall by where the body was found. I'll add that the graffiti was covered up later, was covered up, and another smiley face was found on an overhanging wooden beam. I mean, you can argue, though, that a smiley face is just I'll such a to, common... I'll, I'll throw that out. <laughs> on April 8th, 2009, William Hurley, a 24-year-old Navy vet, was attending a Bruins game in Boston with some friends. About 40 minutes into the game, he called his fiancée, Claire Mahoney, to pick him up. He said he was tired, wasn't feeling well, and didn't really know that much about hockey. He was going to walk out of the stadium and meet her in the front. There is footage of him walking out the door. He seems fine, and then all of a sudden, he doesn't. He walks forward, and he looks real wobbly and unstable and, like, unsure where he is. Claire is not far away. It only takes her a few minutes, actually, to get to that appointed meeting point. William is not there. She can't really park anywhere, so she drives around the stadium. Maybe she had the wrong spot. She called William. He answered. And when she asked where he was, she heard him ask somebody and then heard a male voice respond with 99 Nasho Street. William tells her before he hangs up that his phone is about to die. No problem. The address was at a turn on the next street, so we're talking about a minute to get there. No William. She tried calling, but the call went straight to voicemail. His phone must have died. Claire drove around for an hour, around the stadium, around Nasha Street. I hope I'm saying that right. But William was nowhere to be seen. William was reported missing, and a wide search was conducted. Six days later, William's body was found in the Charles River, close to the spot he had asked her to pick him up from. The medical examiner ruled, as we've seen before, death by drowning, cause undetermined. William's mother, Lynn Martin, was not going to accept this. Good for her. William had very low alcohol in his body. He had maybe a beer at the game, maybe but he did have 18 micrograms of GHB in his system. Oh, wow. So as I said, we produce GHB naturally up to about 10 micrograms. So 18 micrograms is indicative of him having been administered the drug. William had also suffered blunt force trauma to his head, 
left eye socket, and back of his leg. According to forensic pathologist Dr. Elizabeth Laposada and underwater forensic investigator Rhonda Montz, Williams' injuries could not have happened with a fall. He would have hit his nose, chin, or cheekbones, you mm-hmm. know, anything that's Your prominent, face, right. but not an eye socket. The injuries had to have happened while William was still alive because of the injury's full contusion. It looked more like William had sustained the injuries just minutes before the contusion appeared. Okay, so it's like he wasn't dead and it happened, you know, when he hit something or whatever. It happened just minutes before, like, the contusion was there. Like, his, he got punched in the eye. Let's just say he got punched in the eye. And then the contusion would just take minutes for it to appear. Okay. okay. I hope I'm explaining that right. Another thing that confuses the scenario of an accidental drowning is that William's body was found upstream from where he said he was. Well, that doesn't make sense at all. So his body would have had to go against the current of the river. Okay, that's a big tell for me. That's weird. No way. The placement of his body does make sense if his body was put into the water further upstream. I can't leave out William's cell phone. It was found smashed close to 99 Nashau. Like it was an intentional, like it had been ripped apart first. Mm -hmm. Now it's like a flip Flip phone. It had been ripped apart. It it didn't look like it had just been run over. Okay. Okay. It looked like it had manually, somebody had tried to rip it He got off the phone. They took the phone and broke it right there. I guess. There are, but within. But then she was right there. She was right there. Yeah. Maybe they weren't even at Nashau. Right. There are some questions I would love to ask about William's case as well as others. My main question is, was there water in or around the lungs? These are my questions. That's curious because all of these have been, all the medical examiners have just called it. They called it drowning, but undetermined as to how they drowned. Yeah. Or how much water was on the lungs. Mm. Because they could have been knocked unconscious and then just thrown in there, but. But they still would suck water if they're unconscious. Right. They're still that's what breathing, I mean. you know. So that's my question. And it, I couldn't really find it anywhere. Okay. I'd like to get kind of know more about that. Or if that even matters. Well, it would because it's a big indicator as to whether the victim was killed before entering the water or if he was still alive when he entered the water. True. <sighs> okay. Some of this just totally frustrates me. So there's all of these men... Okay, I'm going to sum it all up here for you. Since 1997, hundreds of college-aged men have died of undetermined or accidental drowning across the U.S. These men are all athletic, intelligent, and well-liked. They were all with friends at a bar or party and suddenly left either alone or with a friend, but then was separated from that friend. We do not know what percent of these men had GHB in their systems because they weren't all tested. But because some were tested, we do know that some of them did, in fact, have a higher than usual amount of GHB in their system. There is also the fact that even though some of these deaths, like the ones I covered, seem suspicious and at the very least have a lot of unanswered questions, many police departments have closed their cases. Kevin Gannon, Michael Donovan and Anthony Duarte, all retired NYPD detectives and retired criminal justice professor Dr. Lee Gilbertson started to investigate these cases. 
They have forensic experts help them in the cases and end up having more questions than when they went in. <laughs> Mainly, this does not add up. No. Everything. This does not add up. Why is this not deemed a homicide and being looked into? So if this is murder, who the heck could be doing the murders? The team of retired detectives and, quote, doc, don't think it is just one serial killer. They believe that there may be a large group, maybe even more than a thousand people, who coordinate using the deep dark web. This large group is perhaps broken up into cells in different cities, and the cells would consist of maybe 12 to 15 people. The murders themselves are done by more than one killer. Because of the smiley faces found in close proximity to many of these victims, they have dubbed this group of killers the smiley face killers. What an absolutely terrifying thought that there's this gang this huge out there gang. that's uh, covering your city, that a portion is covering your city. Like, what a terrifying thought. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I questioned my very intelligent future son-in-law, John, <laughs> who has his PhD in statistics. What is the probability that these deaths are connected and that they are homicides, not accidental drownings. You know, his, his mind works different than mine does. So I thought, maybe I'll throw this out to yeah. him. He had some really good responses. He said that given the similarities in the cases, it is unlikely to the point of impossible that none of these cases are connected. But it is also highly unlikely that all of the cases are connected. So say you have 100, there could be... 50 of them that are the gang and 50 of them that are real drownings or whatever. Right. right. Or maybe they are homicides, but they aren't connected, you know. Mom, here we are again with the same thing we started with. Not a little, but not a lot. <laughs> there are so many questions. Not all of them, but not none of them. <laughs> not a pond, not a lake. Oh my gosh. This is actually what Doc and the team of detectives admitted also. As far as the smiley face killer theory, to be honest, I don't know about the theory. Okay, I'm not totally convinced about it. I mean, to me, it sounds a little sci-fi type thing. I don't know. It, it just sounds too surreal. But I am not. A, I, the coincidences. I'm not disqualifying it either. I mean, these are intelligent men that have come up with this theory. So they're not just grasping at straws. They have done a lot of investigating. But as John said, humans are inherently looking for patterns. It's human nature. And is that what might be going on? Just human nature, we look for patterns. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a smiley face someplace and then there's a smiley face in the next one. And now all of a sudden we start looking for smiley faces. Right. Exactly. And like I said, a smiley face is such a common thing. Like you give a kid a piece of chalk. He's going to draw a smiley face. He could draw. Yeah. And yeah. And to go along with that, I'm going to throw in Asham's razor. I know it's weird, but which states that simplicity is always the best answer. For example, and I'm going to take this from Conceptionally Org, quote, you have a headache. Oh, no, you might have the Black Death. <laughs> sure, it's true that one of the symptoms of the Black Death is a headache, but 
using Occam's razor, it is obviously more likely that you're dehydrated or suffering from a common cold or just have a headache, right? Right. So simplicity is always better than the complex. With that in mind, could it be that smiley faces are just common graffiti tags Mm -hmm. in the country, and so it wouldn't be unusual to find one near a murder scene? There is really no way to prove that the cases are connected. So what the team of detectives and Doc are doing instead is looking at the cases one by one. Because what it all really comes down to is that in each of these deaths, a young man has lost his life. A family lost their son, brother, uncle, and there are unanswered questions as to how their loved one died. And that's what I think this team is really doing questioning these deaths, finding evidence, and bringing that to the police chief or DA so that the case can hopefully be reopened and investigated as a homicide and the victims and families can have justice. Have they had any success with that? They have had a few cases reopened, but nothing's been solved still running. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's been solved, but it's like running into walls every time. Uh, It's, well, I mean, I look at it. It's, it's somebody leaving a bar found in a river. Or body of water of some sort. Mm-hmm. And, and, okay, there are deaths that happen, okay? People drown. They just do. But the similarities here, there's so many unanswered questions. If a body has been in the water for so long, yeah, that the body will weird. show that it's been in the, bo- yeah, in the water that that's, long. That's weird to me. And there's so many. I just listed a few. There are so many cases that are like this. Where were they? (laughs) Where were these guys? They didn't just go fall in there. If you want more in-depth coverage of these cases I mentioned and how this team works together to help find answers, watch The Smiley Face Killers, A Hunt for Justice, Season 1. They are working on a Season 2, and it has like six parts to it. It's very interesting, and I am highly anticipating season two. Where can you watch that? Oxygen.com. Okay. And it has all of that there. I watched it for free, so (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't happen with all the streaming stuff anymore. Oh, gosh. No, it doesn't. Very, very interesting. And there's so, so many videos out there, so much to see. I literally cut myself off. (laughs) after watching this last one because I think it just kind of tied everything together for me Mm -hmm. and just watching more of it would just yeah that's so fascinating it's crazy because I I want to go along with the medical examiners and the police I mean there can't be a conspiracy for police to hide this right you know but they're just following the evidence like all the evidence shows that this... Well, I think they're just listening to the medical examiners. Right. And again, the medical examiners are looking at the are, evidence. And they're just... Yeah, but are they? Because well, if they were, they would note that this body was not decomposed. That's this true. This body did not have flies and larvae and everything else in it that it's supposed to. So are they looking at the evidence? Oh, that's weird. I, you know, and again, do all of these guys have water in their lungs? <laughs> <laughs> it's just somebody answer mom please oh it's just so frustrating it yeah that's why i was like totally fascinated with this so hopefully more cases more evidence is being brought up and more cases are will be 
opened. Yeah. Just for these families to get justice. Oh, I can't imagine. All right. The end. The end of that. I have to have a Go Skittle. ahead and grab a handful of Skittles there, Mom. Skittles and beer. All right. All right, Mom. Are we ready to move on? I guess so. Okay. I am not covering a paranormal story this week. Okay. It's, I, I don't know where it would sit on the realm of interesting, I guess. <laughs> I hope all our stories are interesting, but okay. Prophecy. A prediction or predicting the future. Such a fascinating gift. Now, we all have heard of fortune tellers, maybe even been to one. I know I have. I've even bought a ticket or two for Zoltar. (laughs) No way. Evidence shows that fortune telling has been practiced as long ago as 400 BC in China and Egypt. Mm. I mean, prophetic dreams... And such have been portrayed in religious events and, well, I mean, all throughout history. The Bible's full of it. Right. Prophecies. Yes. Tesla, who briefly worked with Thomas Edison, suggested in 1909 that someday people would be walking around with phones in their pockets. In 1969, the award-winning science fiction novel Stand on Zanzibar, written by John Bruner, predicted a lot of things. The novel came out in 1969, but the story was based in 2010. It predicted DVDs, satellite news, legalizing marijuana, and even the president's name was Obami. No. Just two letters off. What the heck? In 1865, the novel From Earth to the Moon, author Jules Verne, wrote about the weightlessness that astronauts experienced. Something that no one in that time period would have ever known. 1865. Jeez. He also predicted that there would be three astronauts on that first moon mission and that Tampa, Florida would be the launch site. What the heck? Apollo 11 launched from Orlando. But I know, but still, that's Florida. That's close <laughs> enough. The unsinkable ship, Titan, hit an iceberg and sunk, killing 1,517 people in the Atlantic Ocean in Morgan Robertson's Futility or the Wreck of the Titan, 14 years before the infamous Titanic sinking. I could go on and on. Now, are these predictions? Like, I'm sure since before we can even imagine, people were discussing how cool and how one day people would be walking on the moon. Right. Right? Like, you can imagine... Egyptians looking at the moon and saying, how cool, one day somebody's going to be on the moon. You know what I mean? But the fact that the author believed astronauts would be weightless. Right. And there would be three. And it just... And sure, Tesla, he knew science would advance. It keeps advancing. So yeah, people would probably one day have phones in their pockets. Yeah, but still... So there's one very famous predictor or group of predictors that has prophesized or fortune told for the last 33 years, and that's Matt Groening and his series, The Simpsons. No. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I used to watch them. (laughs) I didn't know I was watching the future. Hence, the drink. Skittlebrow. 
exactly hence the skittles and the beer that i just you know casually placed on the desk in front of you there it's from season nine episode six when homer goes in and says i'm feeling kind of low a poo got any of that beer that has candy floating in it you know skittle bra and Apu answers, such a product does not exist, sir. I think he must have dreamed it. And Homer says, oh, well, then just give me a six pack and a couple of bags of Skittles. <laughs> Here we go. You have a family sized bag of Skittles and some Hefeweizen. You know, with as much craft beer as out there, I wonder if there is a craft beer with candy floating in it now. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But... I will say that if you don't want to eat Skittles and drink beer or pour your Skittles in your beer, there is an improved Skittle Brow I found on this website, cocktailchemistrylab.com. It's basically a ginger shandy, one bottle of Hefeweizen beer, half a lemon, and one bottle of ginger beer. Squeeze the lemon juice into the glass. Pour in the beer, add ginger beer to taste, and garnish with a lemon wedge and enjoy. That sounds refreshing, except for the ginger beer. I, yes, you love ginger beer. I preferred Skittles. So there we go. I think it's a great idea. I prefer Skittles also. Homer Simpson for the win. <laughs> so yes, the Simpsons, predictors of prophecy. That's like mind blowing. <laughs> I thought this would be totally different. The Simpsons, an American animated sitcom. It follows the Simpson family. Dad Homer, Mom Marge, their son Bart, daughter Lisa and baby Maggie, their family and friends in the town of Springfield. The show has been around since December 1989 and has aired 720 episodes at the time of this recording. Honestly, used to watch it all the time. I think it's like one of, if not the longest running cartoon or show. Animated show. Yeah, I think so. Matt Groening, the creator, has served as executive producer of the show since its beginning. And between the writers and the illustrators, there have been so many predictions fortune telling shown in the show i can't i wait. know it's because <laughs> bizarre this to think sounds about weird <laughs> so i'm not gonna have time to share all of them because believe me there are a ton of rabbit holes and ideas and theories and people are crazy but i'm gonna go with the most popular okay I mean, this whole idea is crazy so coincidences predictions Let's just decide together. Man, we're just riding on the coincidence and theme thing tonight, we are. aren't we? We are. I'm going to share them in chronological order from the air date of the show. Okay. Makes sense. And like I said, it first aired in December 1989. The first one I'm going to cover, the first prophecy came only the next year. Okay. In 1990, season two, episode four, titled Two Cars in Every Garage and Three Eyes on Every Fish. I think I remember this one, actually. (laughs) Bart goes fishing in the lake near Springfield's power plant and catches a three-eyed fish, Blinky. Yes, I remember Blinky. Yep. And in 2011, in real life, not in Simpsons life, (laughs) a three-eyed wolf fish was caught near a power plant. Where? In Argentina. Oh. And I guess in the episode, Marge cooks up the fish and serves it to the mayor or something. (laughs) And in Argentina, when this fish was found, they like all rode in and made sure that people knew like nobody's eaten it. (laughs) Season two, episode nine, Itchy and Scratchy and Marge aired in December 1990. Wasn't Itchy and Scratchy like a violent cartoon? It, It was the cartoon with the cat and like 
very violent cartoon. And this is what Marge is protesting in this episode. Okay. She thinks it's way too violent for children. Well, and she demands <laughs> censorship. And the show cleans up his act. And it's kind of funny because like it becomes like lame. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Lisa and Bart are like, what happened? Uh... Itchy and scratchy. <laughs> but because of her great success and her protest, this group comes to her because they want to censor the traveling statue by David Michelangelo. Of they David, want yeah. to of David, yeah. They want to censor his cover him private up. parts. And in reality, a replica of the statue of David was being unveiled in St. Petersburg, Russia, and residents asked to vote to cover up the statue, saying it would be a bad influence on children. They oh, wanted to put like an ivy leaf or something on him. Yeah. So, again, are these just coincidences? Right. But just, that could be a coincidence. I mean, that, this that is totally just could tip, be a coincidence. Yeah. Tip of the iceberg. 1993, season four, episode 21, titled Marge and Chains. And this episode has a lot. So, not only does Springfield get the Osaka flu pandemic, uh uh-uh. uh, in the show, the virus comes from Japan, but you get the uh, idea. Yeah. There's also a ton of rioting in Springfield. Oh. And because of the rioting, this truck full of killer bees is released. So in this episode, you basically have 2020 with COVID, the rioting. And in fact, in 2020, murder hornets made headline news in the United States. You're right. You're right. I kind of forgot with all the COVID stuff. I kind of forgot about that. The other thing from this episode was during the Springfield pandemic, their mayor Quimby pretends to be in his office when he is actually avoiding it all in the Bahamas on vacation. A little like Mr. Ted Cruz and his disappearance to Cancun in the very- during our COVID pandemic. <laughs> he admitted he was in the wrong. <laughs> Season 5, episode 10, titled Springfield. It aired in 1993. In the show, the Simpsons version of Siegfried and Roy, Gunther and Ernst, perform with their tiger Anastasia. And for those who don't know who Siegfried and Roy are, they're the German-American magicians who performed with their tigers in, in Vegas. Vegas. Right. So in The Simpsons, Anastasia the tiger goes crazy and attacks. In fact, in 2003, you have Siegfried and Roy and their tiger, Montecor oh, that's right. Attacks Roy while on stage. Mauls him. Yeah. It was like a terrible thing. I guess there's an act where they put the microphone in the tiger's mouth and mm-hmm. they tell him to say hello. And he bit on to Roy and wouldn't let go of his arm. Yeah. And yeah. they're like throwing chunks of meat at him and everything. And he ends up, Roy gets out and starts to back away. And the tiger, I did all this research into it because I wanted to see like what was really real. Jumps onto him. Well, he trips him. And he falls backwards. And after he falls backwards and the tiger grabs him by the neck and takes him off the stage. Can you imagine being an audience member? No. Children, I'm sure. I mean, these are magicians. I'm sure people brought their children to this. Seeing that? No. That'd be horrifying. traumatized for the rest of your life. Oh, my gosh. He suffered. I mean, his spine resulted in massive blood loss and severely injured other parts of his body. Um, It severed his spine. Now... Apparently, though, he had suffered a stroke. Roy had suffered a stroke. And so he told people in 2004 that that's why 
like Montecor, I guess, saved his life. I don't know how he saved his life, but <laughs> or was trying to tell him that he was going to have a stroke or that he had had a stroke and was trying to drag him to the him. hospital. Or maybe he was reacting to he could sense the stroke uh-huh. or something like that. Well, but who knows? I mean, yeah. Anyway, I think he's just trying to save his. I mean, as he was being taken to the emergency room, he was saying, "Don't do anything to Montecor." Like he loved his tiger. Mm. So again, is this coincidence? This is a wild animal on stage. Yeah, true. True that. So it and You it don't even know what have, a dog is going to do. It could have easily happened. Right, right. Right. So them writing about these people performing with tigers and the tiger attacking, like, is this... Yeah. Okay. The inevitable, but I hate to say that because you don't want these things to no, happen. No, no. Okay. So now we're going to back up. I know I said chronological order, but I have to back up because this happened three years in a row. The Super Bowl. Okay. In 1992 titled Lisa the Greek, season three, episode 14. The episode aired days before the Super Bowl, and the show correctly predicts the Washington Redskins winning. Now, this is a 50-50 shot, right? The following year, though, the writers are like, wow, we're doing this. We are predicting the future. Again. So they aired the exact same episode, but they redubbed it. So they did the the vocals, and they again predicted correctly and the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. What? They did it again. And they did it again in 1994. Exact same episode. Just redubbed it with the proper teams. And again, in 1994, they guessed correctly. And the San Francisco 49ers won. Crazy. Did they do any more? Or then did they, they just said fail? They oh, they, no, did, they're, they're, they quit. Yeah, they quit on a high streak. Like They're like, okay, we're good. We're done. Should have kept going. though. That would have been really cool. That would have been crazy. Season 5, episode 19, Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song. <laughs> no, I'm not slurring. That's what it's titled. Aired in 1994. Bart brings the dog to school. The dog escapes through the vents. And you see lunch lady Doris making lunch with meat out of a container marked assorted horse parts. That is so disgusting. 19 years later in 2013... There is that huge real horse meat scandal in the UK Uh, where uh. horse meat was discovered in meat products. And I think Taco Bell, there was like, they tested the meat at Taco Bell in the UK, not in the the United States. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I mean. (laughs) Ooh. And 1% of the meat there was horse. Oh my gosh. And I always, I don't touch Taco Bell here. How could they even do that? I don't know. Ugh. Okay. But did they predict? Yeah, that's okay. A that one scandal. That's kind of weird. Season six, episode 19, titled Lisa's Wedding, aired in 1995. Now, this one's really weird. Lisa goes to London, and I'm going to show you this picture, but you see the skyline, you see Big Ben, and you kind of see the London Bridge, mm-hmm. and then you see the tip or the top of a skyscraper, and it's a very unique shape to the skyscraper. Okay. Now, this skyscraper is called the Shard, but back in 1995, the Shard did not exist. Wasn't there? The Shard was not built until 14 years later. And it looks like? Yeah, here, I'll show you. Holy smokes. And it's very unusual. It's just like a very skinny, pointy thingy. (laughs) It's very, it's hard to explain. (laughs) It is hard to because explain. It looks like it has multiple sides. I don't really but know. But even the positioning of it yeah. is like right on. It's 14 years later. Weird. 
in the same episode, when Lisa gets in married, she calls her mom Marge on her phone, but it's a talking picture. You see Marge oh, FaceTime. like FaceTime, which doesn't become a thing until 2010, 15 years later. Okay, so you can argue that one. I mean, look at the Jetsons. Right. They did right. teleconferencing with the like Skype kind of a thing yeah. back then. <laughs> so, you know, right. science we can only assume is going to keep be- get, getting, getting better. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of weird if you think about it. Why didn't she just talk to her mom on the phone? Right. Right. Why do they have her doing the face to face thing? Why? Why? You know, if you I think know. about it that way, it's like. Why would they even think about doing a FaceTime call? Because oh, they knew it was going to be based in the future. But still, yeah. Like, why? Why even think that way? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty it's so cool, cool anyway to just have a phone that you can call. Any- I mean, wow. Okay. Okay. So here are the big ones. Okay. Season nine, episode one aired in 1997, titled The City of New York versus Homer Simpson. I'm actually going to read you a quote from Al Jean, one of the original writers of The Simpsons. This is from an article in the Irish Times. It says, quote, There is a frame where there's a brochure that says New York at $9 a day. And behind the nine are the Twin Towers. It looks like 9-11. That one is a completely bizarre, strange thing. Unquote. Mom, here's the photo. I gotta see this. Here it is. Oh, my Gosh, it's like the nine and then perfectly put behind the nine are the Twin Towers the making way, the 11. The way it's arranged. it OK, so the brochure is showing how to enjoy New York on the cheap, how to enjoy right. New York at nine dollars a day. That's what it's advertising. So there's a big nine on it. And then because it's New York, there's like a bus. And then it's not like there's the whole New York skyline. No, there's not, not even all. a skyline. It's. Twin Towers and the Empire State Building. Exactly. It's there's so many other things you could do. The Statue of Liberty isn't even New in York there. City. Yeah, there's no New York City landmarks. It's the Empire State Building and the Twin Towers. And again, this aired in 1997. So the Twin Towers were a big deal. And that would I can understand that wanting to represent New York in a photo. But the way it's placed. Yes. Right. Right after the nine like that. It looks like very eerily 9-11. Totally. 1998, season 10, episode 2, The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace. Homer becomes an inventor. And there's a scene where he's solving some equation on a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And that equation, that exact equation, will 14 years later be confirmed as being the solution to Higgs boson. What is that? The God particle, which basically explains how everything in the universe has mass. Is this an equation that, I mean, has kind of been floating around and just... Yeah, and that's what a lot of people will argue. You know, Some argue that this equation had been a theory for years as being the solution. Yeah. But it wasn't until 2012 that this was confirmed. Deemed to be. Okay. And again, this aired in 1998. And the writers, uh-huh. a lot of... The writers on staff are mathematicians for The Simpsons, which I find really interesting because, like, I'm not like this great writer, but I prefer writing, so I consider myself a writer, right? But to numbers, right? It's it's interesting that these that they that they're mathematicians, yeah. But a lot of them went to Harvard for math. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, but when it comes to this, this is the equation on the chalkboard. 
This is the illustrators. This isn't even the writers oh. at this point, if you think about it, on the staff. Oh, that's... Cr- no. Yeah. All right. Give me more. Season 10, episode 5, When You Dish Upon a Star, aired in 1998. Ron Howard is pitching Homer's screenplay to producers at 20th Century Fox. At the beginning of the scene of the pitch, there is a sign with the 20th Century Fox logo, you know, the big golden 20th Century Fox, on a billboard. And below 20th Century Fox, it says, a division of Walt Disney Company. Wait, when was this? 1998. That's 20 years before the deal is officially made. Holy it wasn't until smokes. 2019 that Walt Disney announced its $71 billion merger. Was it even a rumor? I mean, was it a thing? That's at 20 all? years later. No. Oh, that's just weird. That's really weird. By the way, you can watch all of The Simpsons on Disney Plus because I right I know a lot of you right now are like, oh my, I miss that I'm gonna, show. I'm gonna watch The Simpsons I'm see if I can predict this. anything. Season eleven, episode seventeen, Bart to the Future, was aired in two thousand. Shows Bart going to the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Imagine where Donald Trump was president. No. Yeah, which wouldn't happen for another seventeen years. That's because I was even floored when. When he ran, so it was like, <laughs> holy smokes. And not only this, but look at this photo. Well, that isn't one photo. That is four. And that is crazy. It is like frame for frame, Donald Trump going down an escalator. Animated Donald Trump and the real Donald Trump Has side by side. raised in the same, same way. Same arm. Everything. Going down the escalator, waving. Same exact one. And then up at the podium. And some argue, I mean, there's an Oprah interview of him in the 90s when she's like, would Will you, you ever, ever run, run for president? president? And he's like, yeah. he, he was kind of flirting with the idea of running for president and for a long time. And that probably put it into their head. Right. Yeah. But, but still. It happened 17 years later. Those photos are crazy. Season 20, episode four, Treehouse of Horror 19, aired in 2008. It showed faulty voting machines. Oh, boy. (laughs) It shows Homer trying to go and vote for Obama, but his vote keeps getting counted incorrectly. (laughs) In 2012, this actually happened with that huge scandal and the faulty voting machines. I don't know if you remember that video, but the calibration was off on the machine. And every time the person voted for Obama, it counted for Mitt Romney. (laughs) Whoops. Whoops is right. Season 21, episode 12, Boy Meets Curl, aired in 2010. Marge and Homer go to the Olympics and compete with Agnes and Seymour Skinner in the 2010 Olympics in curling. (laughs) (laughs) They go to the finals and beat Sweden. And in fact, eight years later, in the next Olympics, the U.S. men's curling team goes to the finals and beats Sweden. Sweden. Out of all the countries, Sweden. Sweden. Well, do a lot of countries do curling? I don't know. What is curling? Is it? It's on the ice. I only know that from watching the Simpsons episode. <laughs> but is it like they push it to see how like you want it to go? Not too far, but far enough, right? It's sort of like hockey, but in a timid way. No, you know? it's not like a, a. It's not a. You try puck. to see how far it can go, but not too far. Oh, it's like shuffleboard. So it's not like some contact sport that Homer and. Marge are playing, but okay. 
Season 23, episode 22, aired in 2012. Lisa goes gaga. In the episode, Lady Gaga performs the halftime show for the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. In a silver costume, she has these wires and she like hangs above and swings across the crowd. Oh, no. This is exactly what happened in 2017. Lady Gaga performed the halftime show dressed in a silver costume with wires. Mom, look at this picture. Oh, my gosh. They even had the boots right. <laughs> They're both wearing boots. But OK, I'm going to throw this in there. Maybe somebody watched The Simpsons and thought it was a really cool idea and Lady Gaga should do that. Maybe. I would like to think Gaga watched it herself and was like, <laughs> I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> I want to do that. There are so many more. Oh. They predicted the FIFA scandal. They predicted a Nobel Prize winner. Is it all coincidence? Or are they really foretelling the future over there in their right. writing room? Some of these episodes are so old. So people are seeing them. Like, this is kind of a theory that they're so old that people are seeing them and then making them a reality. Right. So there is an ep like you just said, with Gaga. Uh-huh. I guess there was an episode where Homer's favorite baseball team, the Springfield Isotopes, are moving to Albuquerque, mm -hmm. and he's protesting this. Well, in real life, like shortly after this aired, there was a new baseball team that was moving to Albuquerque, and they all voted to be named the isotopes. Albuquerque Isotopes. So Again, it could have come from, actually come from the show. I, th I think it might have. So are all of these things kind of like that? It just kind of happens. Or is it that what John said? Because we're of the always patterns. looking for patterns. Mm -hmm. Executive producer Bill Oakley, when asked about all of this, he said, quote, it's mainly just coincidence because episodes are so old that history repeats itself, unquote. Mm. Writer Al Jean said, quote, if you make enough predictions, then 10% will turn out to be right, <laughs> unquote. <laughs> I mean, they've aired 720 episodes. Yeah. Like, not all of them have come right. So I've named some predictions that have come true. I'm going to name a couple predictions of things that people are waiting to happen <laughs> because it aired on The Simpsons. Okay. In one episode, Homer invested all of their money on an underwater home. <laughs> <laughs> so is this underwater living going to become a thing? No. Apparently, a Japanese construction company has proposed an eco-friendly underwater city, which would house 5,000 inhabitants and generate its energy from the seabed. No way. Just under the surface of the sea would accommodate commercial activities, housing, and hotels over 75 floors. That would be scary, actually. That would be scary. I was reading imagine? this article and looking at like the sketches and stuff, and I was like... I would want to go, but I wouldn't want to go. Like, I'd want to go, but I wouldn't want to go. <laughs> I... But can you imagine how resourceful? No, yeah. You would have a lot of energy and, and you know, all around you, basically. But uh, what if there's a leak? <laughs> <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> okay. In a futuristic episode, Maggie gets an ultrasound, gets an ultrasound, done by a robot nurse okay i could see that happening. i can see that happening and yeah. again that's a science thing because i don't want keeps, to see it happening but science I science keeps happening. evolving right so you've seen all the already robots that surgeons use now right. and everything right. so can you imagine walking to a doctor's office and this robot comes wheeling is like elizabeth i'll check your weight now and they just have to like scan you <laughs> 
You don't even have to step on a scale? No, you don't actually have to step on a scale. Did I tell you what happened at one of my doctor's office? What? She goes, go ahead and have a seat. So I sat down in the chair, you know, like you do. Yes. And she it goes. calculated you on the chair? It was a dang scale. Ew, she tricked you. I said, <laughs> that is not fair at all. She just started cracking up. Literally, I sat in the chair that I sat in the whole appointment and it was a scale. Well, look at everything we had to do during COVID. I mean, doctors meet virtually now mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, she made you sit in. <laughs> well, no, it's just, just like you, like when you go into yeah, the room, no. you sit in the chair, on the, t- yeah. you know, chair, whatever. It's a scale. That's hilarious. <sighs> okay. So here's a weird one. VR eating. So virtual reality eating. Virtual reality eating. There's an episode where I guess they virtual they wear the virtual reality glasses and they're eating okay. fudge with feeding tubes. Mm, Apparently, that's weird. <laughs> this is a real thing, though, not with the feeding tubes. But <laughs> uh, Royal Caribbean is looking at virtual reality eating. How's that? Um, say there's like an Italian restaurant on the ship. Mm-hmm. While you're eating, they have the Tuscan scenery. But you have to wear those glasses. I don't know. Or would it be like that Maybe traveling you'd... Van Gogh and Monet thing where but you are immersed into it? I think you're immersed into it. But because the whole theory is, it's like, say they serve you this gourmet meal in an alleyway. It's not going to taste It's going to, right. So if you're eating this gourmet meal in Tuscany or out in Greece you're eating real Greece food and you you feel real like greasy you're food? <laughs> greasy food <laughs> even if you're eating greasy food if I was even eating greasy food in with Greece, that beautiful it scenery it would taste so good <laughs> but you know what I'm saying like yeah 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 as long as you don't have to wear those feeding glasses or feeding tubes that's weird but <laughs> in 2016 they had an episode that showed Homer with an Ivanka campaign button for 2028. Uh, you never know. We will never know. Well, well we will. We will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We will find out. So anyway, that's what I have for you. And here's the thing. Here's, here's something I want you to keep in mind, too. Okay. They write these episodes 10 months before they air. So there's even more time? So even that. So like, say... It was all in the media that Donald Trump was like, yeah, one day I'm, I'm going to one right. day I'm going to run for president. Like this is like all over that. He does an interview and he says that. Mm-hmm. But this was still written 10 months before that. So it's not like before the Oprah interview. But, you know, I'm just giving that as an example. Okay. So this is just it's 10 months before this big event is done. It's still just weird. No, it is weird. But you know what? Those writers probably are so in tuned to oh, they have to be current affairs. Well, look how successful that show is. It's still on now. It's a successful show, right? And they have to be. I imagine they have to be so in tuned. Yeah, to everything that's going everything. around. Everything. I'm sure they have researchers and everything too to keep it <laughs> like we do. To keep. <laughs> <sighs> I wish. Oh, I would never have guessed The Simpsons. Okay. That one threw me. I know. I wanted to start with Tesla and all that kind of fun stuff. But there's just, I get it. 10% of the time when you put 720 episodes out there, you're bound to be right somewhere. Uh I get it. 
And like John said with the patterns, that's why when you said that I perked up during your episode because I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of like mine again. <laughs> we did it again. But yeah, just predicting things and fortune telling has always been super fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I see Zoltara, I will buy a ticket. <laughs> I have to every time. Oh, I did go to a fortune teller once. I don't remember anything about it. Oh, I've been to one and everything she told me. Really? Yeah. I think mine were so vague that it could have been anybody that went in there. Well, that's the thing. I guess it is kind of the way you read into what they tell you. Yeah. But we were trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. and we'd been trying for a while. Oh, I remember this. And I went to her and she was like, oh, don't worry. Don't you even worry. It's going to be before you even know it. Don't you even worry. What other questions do you have? I was pregnant. You then. were pregnant. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And didn't know. With baby Aiden. Yep. So I don't know. Well, you know how you were sensitive. Yeah. It is a gift. I, I do believe in like, I believe, I know you're rolling your eyes and like spirit guides. And I believe in that other realm and being a sensitive to that kind of stuff. I do. So maybe. I don't know. We maybe. only use part of our brain. You know, yeah. we use a very little part of our brain. And Simpson writers use all of their brains. They use more than we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it has to, I mean, like I said, the Bible has tons of prophecies in it. So I it know. is a thing. It's been around for a long it's, it's time. It's not this made up magical woo woo stuff. I mean, it is real, you know? You know, I do know. Let's see. So I know this wasn't paranormal, but it was just kind of fun and... I don't even know. I fell across an article and I looked at Alex and I said, should I do this for the, for the paranormal portion? And he goes, absolutely. You have to do this. So then when we were talking about episodes, I was like, okay, you have to do the smiley, the smiley face killer because it's so broad. Because I, I already a, know what I'm doing. I have a very broad. <laughs> it's not dedicated to a state. So there was another cocktail I was going to do. Yeah. Besides <laughs> so the Skittles and beer. Yes. Skittlebrow. It was called the Flaming Homer, <laughs> or it's also known as the Flaming Mo, which is, <laughs> okay. and it's a cocktail. I, I, it was accidentally invented by Homer, and then it was stolen by Mo, and I think it was in like season three or something like that. But it, you light it on fire on the top. Oh, I really that. wanted to do this. It was one ounce vodka, one ounce whiskey, a half ounce simple syrup, three fourths ounce creme de cassis. <laughs> Half ounce of blueberry schnapps, lemon lime soda, and then a splash of Bacardi 151 on top that lit on fire. And I was like, that drink sounds disgusting. But I want to do it. But I want to light it on fire and watch mom be like, what? What are you doing? (laughs) But I was looking and I couldn't find blueberry schnapps. I could find every kind of schnapps you can imagine except for blueberry blueberry schnapps. And then I was like, what the heck am I going to make with blueberry schnapps down the road? And schnapps comes in big bottles. So it's like. It's not little bottles. I was like, I'm going to have this big bottle of blueberry schnapps forever. It's probably pretty good though. Oh, probably. I like schnapps. If anybody wants to make that cocktail, please <laughs> let us know. do. Let me know. Please I just tell us you did not burn down your house. I mean, the first ingredients, one ounce vodka, one ounce whiskey. I mean, right there, you're golden. So <laughs> we would be flying at the end of this, this show. Well, I'm happy you did the Skittles and beer. I thought that'd be even more fun. Again, and looking, a lot easier. And another surprise, because watching your face, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> 
All right. Well, this was a fun one, Mom. It was pretty crazy, huh? Check out our social media. I'm going to post these pictures and go to our website for all of the resources, killerhangoverpodcast.com. We are on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, YouTube, Killer Hangover Podcast. Yes. Episode 105. Email us your stories. What do you want us to cover? What is a prophecy? Of <laughs> Give us a prophecy of a future episode for us. <laughs> I don't know. That was supposed to make sense, but it didn't. Hey, by the way. What? We have 47 countries listening to us now. Howdy, y'all. Wow. 47 countries. We just got Sweden. What? <laughs> Sorry we beat you in curling. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is a lot of countries. I know. <laughs> There's a couple I can't even I don't pronounce. Even, so. I don't even know if I could name 47 countries just sitting here right now. That's embarrassing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Moving well, on. we still have a whole world to get. So. But I thought it was pretty exciting. 47 countries. That's not including the United States. Well, cheers to you all. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for listening. That's so <laughs> cool. Keep sharing us with your friends and your family. We love it. We thank you. Join us on Patreon. It's $5 a month. We're releasing extra episodes. We have some fun stuff coming out. We release episodes early for you guys. And we send goodies every once in a while. Once in a while. Yep. And if you can't support us financially with Patreon, Leave us a rating or a view wherever you listen or share us on your social media. We really appreciate it, guys. I didn't know how this worked, and so now I do. But with the more reviews and ratings, we get bumped up uh, when people Google Simpsons prophecies. Like they're going to be doing that because <laughs> we just prophesized that. And they are. <laughs> There's going to be so much Googling of Killer Hangover now. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. <laughs> But like, okay, smiley face killers. Then if we've got the more ratings we get, the higher we pop up for people searching that. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us 105 times. Oh, boy. <laughs> this was a fun one, Mom. Yeah, it was. This was a really fun one. It really was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>